We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. Hello and welcome into another 3 Mod Pod. I am John Kurtz. Today joined by just Derek Young. No Cole Manbeck, unfortunately, so you guys are going to have to do without uh, some terrible terrible lock of the week advice and uh an in-depth Baylor preview but I think DY and I can handle it especially because we have a little we have a little basketball to talk about here too we're gonna open up with some hoops talk coming off the first win of the Jerome Tang era in emphatic fashion in this case they flirted with 100 points uh on Monday night but if you're going to basketball if you're going to be watching hoops on Friday you got a couple opportunities to uh slug some 360 vodka and Ben Holiday bottled in Bond Bourbon figure out how to get the Pac-12 network what did you say uh DY it's a free trial of which one? Uh, both, two of them, I guess. Sling and Fubo. Yeah. Okay, get yourself a free trial, free month trial of Sling or Fubo TV so that you can watch Pac-12 Network on Friday when K-State takes on Cal. And then, of course, on Saturday, K-State and Baylor uh, happening at 6 o'clock. So there's a lot going on and a, a huge sports weekend. Make sure you've got your 360 vodka, your Ben Holiday bottled and bond bourbon from Holiday Distillery. Great K-State folks that support us, so please support them as well we're going to get to headlines and all the typical football talk that you would expect here from a preview episode for a massive football game that k-state has coming up this weekend but i I gotta touch on hoops man jerome tang's club looked pretty damn fun and good uh in their season opening win 93 59 over utrgv i mean really the biggest thing and i i said it as i'm watching the game on monday it was like after watching Three straight years of bad Bruce Weber basketball, which is like slow pace, not much athleticism on the roster, lots of projects. It was all of a sudden there were just dunks, threes all over the place. Case it was flying up and down. They were having fun. They were interacting with the crowd. Like it was just the student section was completely packed for a student or a season opener on a Monday night against UTRGV. Like it just so much, so much refreshing energy seemingly being injected into this program. Uh, and it was it was on full display in a dominant performance with a lot of super, super fun highlights on Monday. Yeah, I would agree. The tell you what, I was there. I, I don't think I don't think you got to head to Manhattan for that one. But the student section, it was no joke. Like that, that was a student section that was the size of one that's typically reserved just for Kansas games. So you know, all that work that Jerome Tang did in the offseason to kind of regenerate and re-energize 
that portion of the fan base, uh, it certainly bred instant results in game one inside Bramlage Coliseum. So uh, he should be proud of that part and proud of his team because, as you said, it, and one of my takeaways, you know, I do four or five instant takeaways after each game, and one of my ones was just an exciting brand of basketball. Um, they, you know, the dunks, the dunks, the threes, they have a suffocating defense, and that's something, you know, they're probably going to you, – you said it in our group chat. They're probably going to have a reality check at some point. It might not come in non-conference play because that non-conference schedule is uh, pretty cupcakey, uh, <laughs> to say the least, after we've seen the first couple of nights of college basketball. But uh, I don't know that a reality I, check – Because it has Oklahoma on it twice. But – um. Sh- Oh yeah, Oklahoma twice. Get Nebraska, uh, which Wichita State. It's not going to be hot. Uh, Florida might not make the NCAA tournament. They play Cal on Friday. We're not expecting too much from them. They just lost to UC Davis. Even they play Rhode Island, I think, in the first game of the Caymans. All right, and Rhode Island lost to Quinnipiac on a P night. So, uh, an interesting schedule to say the least. One that they didn't really have a choice in booking. Um, I think Trump Tag actually revealed soon after they defeated UT Rio Grande Valley is we only got to schedule one of these games and it was Cal that they did put on uh, the docket, but the defense, I don't know that the defense will have a reality check is what I wanted to say, because I think that's the thing that's going to travel. And I think that's the thing that's going to be pretty sustainable because some of it just has to do with their incredible length. They, they can all just stand out there and put their arms up and you're not going to find many avenues or windows to pass the ball through. I mean, that's ridiculous. There's lineups at times where they throw out there as, you know, Keontae Johnson, Naquan Tomlin, and Abayne Ejiola. I mean, that's incredible length. Or I think I saw one the other night where it was Naquan Tomlin, David Gasson, and Abayne Ejiola. And there's just not a whole lot of cracks in that defense when you have that kind of length. But to be able to put that kind of length on the floor, they're not sacrificing athleticism. I mean, you could put Tomlin at the three and feel pretty good. I think he brought up the ball how many times uh, in the opener at six foot ten. So it's just incredible the kind of versatility, athleticism, different lineups, the length that they could toss out there, and they're just going to be a tough, tough out. Uh, it does, and I'll give credit to Kels Robinette for this comparison or this description because it makes sense in a lot of ways. You remember the first few teams of the Scott Drew era and Baylor when they first started to get it going a little bit, especially in terms of the length, it looks like that. He said this is like baby Baylor, and it really does look like that. You wonder how much the shooting will transfer and and sustain because it was not great against Washburn, but then it was great against UTRGV. Um, a lot of that's because it was open shots. And as you said, very exciting brand of basketball, especially in the offensive end. It was alley-oop, stunks, threes. It definitely feels like they're playing an analytical form of basketball, too. Because remember, they went two for one before halftime in the exhibition against Washburn. And then besides, uh, you know, I think there was a, a couple mid-range shots here from Desi Sills, uh, two connected by Miami Egiola. It's kind of an analytical form on the offensive end just in general because you're seeing more threes and shots at the rim and maybe less mid-range attempts. I mean, they're just, they're doing like everything that we would have wanted. I mean, the two for one, is something we always screamed about with Bruce that he just never cared about. I mean, yeah, it's like, 
exciting style, wanting to play offense, getting legitimate athletes, um, everything, everything trending in the right direction, creating immediately a, a unbelievable bond with the the student section, like just everything coming to fruition. And I mean, even, I mean, you talk about the link, like, what do we find out from Phil Byer that Tyke Green has like a 6'11 wingspan and he had that move where he just left off a shot fake from the three-point line and ran in and jammed it, um, you know, yeah. They've got some dudes. They've got some dudes. It's, it's beyond just the obvious, which like Naquan Tomlin is just a freak out there. I mean, yeah. like his now I'm, the three point shot has not been there at all. It, it looks it, yeah. when you watch it, it's not a bad shot. It does look like he there. there is some potential there. But at least for now, it can still provide you with a lot. And we saw it on display multiple, multiple times, including the highlight of the freaking night, which was Marquise Noel getting into the lane and spinning a behind the back pass uh, to Naquan Tomlin for an emphatic jam. As cool a highlight as I've seen in a long time uh, for K-State basketball. I mean, on it, serious question, serious questioning. If you ran back side by side, the entire highlight reel from the last three years of K-State basketball and the highlight reel of Monday night against UTRGV, which one looks more fun? <laughs> which one has more awesome highlights? Because I would submit to you, that it is probably the UTRGV film. Oh, it is. Yeah, I don't think uh, that it's close either. I mean, those last three years, uh, each season after the Big 12 championship was, you know, kind of a rough sight to behold. There was probably some moments in there that were glossing over, but there weren't many, regardless of what we're going to try to convince ourselves of. And, and as you said, the Naquan Tomlin thing, to be honest, and I know this might catch a lot of people off guard. He's further along at this stage, and maybe he's going to hit a little bit of a wall too. I don't know. Like you said, reality checks are probably oh, it'll happen. Yeah. yeah, but Nikola Tomlin's further along than I thought at this point, uh, considering how raw everyone had been cheering that he is, and he he's played very little basketball in his career. Man, he looks like the real deal. And if that three ball at at any point becomes even remotely consistent, he's as dangerous a player in a Big 12 as there is. Yeah, I mean, that's – yeah, if he can get it up to, like, 30% even from three, I mean, it it becomes a big game changer. Unfortunately, right now, I believe it's at 0%, so uh, that's, that's going to have to come up. But like you said, it looks good. Yeah, it actually yeah. looks good. Decent, you know, I mean, decent. It, it's not – this is not a guy just flinging it up there. Like, that. that's a guy that does have some touch. Ejiola, um, Well, that's who I wanted to talk about, man. Bebe looks so much better than I anticipated. And I know that we had heard, like, this is going to be a guy that you really like that can bring a lot of energy. Um, and he's got energy for days, but he's got some skill. I just – I did not anticipate the skill. He's got a shooting touch. Um, he showed a lot of things to me where I was just like, man, this guy's jumping off the page. He transferred from where? Was he the Hofstra? I don't even Hofstra, remember. Yeah. Like, Oh boy, I, I like him a lot, man. I, that's that's what the biggest pleasant surprise to me on the team so far. Yeah, and he was a joy to talk to after the game as well. Just someone that's very thankful and grateful for his VR right now. But yeah, like you said, more skill than we were anticipating. He got some range to his shot with really good touch. Even showed that at the free throw line, I want to say. And then defensively, he's a guy that really is a weapon because it's not just Naquan Tomlin. It's not just Keontae Johnson. It's not just David Gasson. I mean, Ejiola can switch with a lot of the different spots on the floor, too. I'm not sure that they have one guy that I'd say, man, I don't know if they can switch him on to anyone. 
I, I really don't think they have because I think David Gasol could probably even guard three different spots on the floor. Yeah, now to your mini Baylor comment earlier, one thing we're also seeing is that much like at Baylor, redshirting players is still very much on the table here for these guys. And we got uh, news about three redshirts, Taj Manning, Jarrell Colbert. Who am I missing? Who's the other one there? Anthony Thomas. And Anthony Thomas. They will redshirt. I, the surprise to to me, and I think a lot of people, was Jarrell Colbert, especially because like he came in late in the Washburn game and just displayed the uh, incredible athleticism that he has. I mean, just a, a world of potential in him, understanding that he is still very raw. But sounds like he's going to redshirt, and sounds like he was definitely involved in that decision-making process. So, hey, I mean, definitely hope that it works out. I am very – my natural reaction to redshirts in college basketball these days is to be like, I don't know. That just seems like such an antiquated thing and nobody ever really uses them and they don't, but, but Baylor did. Um, I will give, I will give Scott Drew and company credit for that. And Jerome Tang obviously comes from there, but I was disappointed just because Colbert seeing the athleticism that he uses. I was like, Oh man, that's, that's my guy. I'm excited to see where, where this thing goes, but I, I understand that they don't have as much, there's much more room for playing time in the, in the backcourt, which is why you're seeing Dorian Finister not actually redshirt. Yeah, the, the 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 depth issue is more of a, a thing that they have to tackle in the backcourt, as you said, and in the front court. I, I think it was you know just the open, honest, transparent conversation. Like, hey, this is what we have in the front court. This is what your role would be. This is the minutes that you consume. What? How would you like to approach this? This? These are your options, and and so I think it was a decision made by Gerald Colbert most. Uh, you know, for the most part, just given what they, you know, shared to him. A little bit of a surprise. I, I didn't know that they would go the redshirt route with him, but on the other side, not a surprise because there were some whispers that, you know, in terms of ability and being raw, that he might be even a, a longer way to go than, than Naquan Tomlin. So uh, I think he's a major work in progress as well. And this will kind of allow him to get there without burning a year of eligibility. And I think that's what both sides thought was ideal at the time. So in and, and the eight minutes against Washburn and people rushing to those conclusions, that's fair. I get it. But, you know, a lot of times in these exhibitions and early down conference action, sometimes a lot of what we see, and that's why me and you kind of cautioned that reality checks were coming. A lot of what we see can kind of be dictated by the opponents and the caliber that they truly are. Because uh, I don't think any big was having trouble with the Ikebods that night. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and as far as reality, Jack, I mean, look, yeah, you know, we just know. I mean, they're they're it's a bunch of new guys together. Keontae Johnson, who did look really good, I thought. Oh, yeah. When when he was out there, I mean, he's going to have some growing pains just getting in. You can still tell some rust uh, that he needs to knock off after two years out, um, and he's going to have to get back in game shape and all that. I mean, they, they'll they'll take some lumps doing that, but I think what's what's apparent from it is that they're going to be much more, much more pleasing to the eye to watch uh, and that they just have a, a pretty high ceiling, you know, a much higher ceiling than these teams have had over the last three years where you can see it. You can see the athleticism and, um, and skill to an extent, but much more just the athleticism really popping off the page. So I, I like mini, mini Baylor. I'm signed me up for mini Baylor. Um, yeah. I, last, Monday, last Monday, I guess one last conclusion that I kind of wanted to put out there that, that kind of told me that Keontae Johnson is going to be that, can be that that super stud playmaker, best player on your team, take over a game, score 15 or 20 if you need it. Last Monday kind of showed me that he still has that ability. That, that dude can shoot the three, too. He didn't shoot a lot of it, 
in his prior stop at Florida, but he shot at a high clip. You know, if he's going to shoot it that well, I'm okay with him hoisting, you know, four or five a game. Yeah. And Cole, Cole said it, you know, I mean, still some rust, I think, showing in his ability to like get to the rim. Yep. Uh, which he was just, he was lethal at. If you go look at his, his highlights from Florida, like the, he, he That's would just cool. get to the rim constantly. Um, so I think that'll come along, but uh, yeah, it was very nice to see. Very nice to see that shot get knocked down. All right. A little bit of basketball for you. We're going to get into some football next, starting with headlines, but uh, that'll come right after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. All right, back with some football talk now here on 3Mod. John Kurtz and Derek Young with you. Headlines, um, I guess we're talking quarterbacks again. Headline number one here. I, I watched the press conference yesterday. You were there uh, for Chris Kleiman and company. I you know, gave a couple of answers about Will Howard, said that, that we still have a plan, was his quote on Will, which I, I assume is still surrounding the red shirt and trying to preserve that, which admittedly I get a little bit annoyed with all the talk about the red shirt. I, I get it. If you can save it, that's great. But I, I, the more it gets talked about, the more people want to think it's an actual reason for why he's not playing. And it's just like, I, you know, if that affects the decision-making process in any way, shape or form, as opposed to who's the better quarterback to have out on the field right now, I will just be, I will start pounding my head against a wall. Who cares about a red shirt in 2022, but I digress. Uh, it sounds like, I mean, all indications are climate didn't really say it. I kept waiting for him to give a little more definitive statement on like, Hey, Adrian's the guy moving forward. I, I never really totally heard that, but I think you can just kind of insinuate from, from what climate said, like, Hey, Adrian's the dude moving forward. Yeah. I don't think we did hear that. I guess maybe Nevis really thought we needed to, or he, maybe he didn't think he needed to share it, but that's interesting. I didn't even think about that. I assume because, both were healthy enough, and he picked Adrian last week that Adrian is the guy. So I think it is a safe assumption. Look, I don't think Will Howard's red shirt and that whole situation dictated who he went with at quarterback. I think he picked Adrian Martinez because he was healthy enough, and he felt like that was the quarterback that gave them the best chance to win on Saturday night uh, against Texas. But with that being said, I think, you know, 
it's more of a thing where he was almost sharing that it's a thing that they're going to be mindful of moving forward now with the amount of games remaining since Adrian Martinez is healthy. And I think that's fair. Um, part of, look, I, I, I kind of see both sides here. So I'm, I'm probably going to annoy people. I understand Will Howard's maybe reluctant to not redshirt if he's not going to play a full season, especially if he's not the permanent starter especially last year when he burned his redshirt by playing five games, which is only one over the limit. Um, and he could have said, I'm not going to play against Texas in the regular season finale. That would have been completely fair, given the circumstances of that season and his personal situation. And instead, he did say, hey, yeah, I will play when Skylar Thompson couldn't go instead of keeping his redshirt. He also – but. So I understand he's played now, this is his third season, and he's yet to start a full season. So maybe not wanting to lose another year of eligibility because of that reason. On the other hand, he did get a free year already because 2020 didn't count. Yeah, and I just, I don't know, things go the way they go. Like, I get it, you're trying to do the best thing for the kid and and for Will Howard preserving an extra year in a in a transfer scenario when he knows Avery Johnson is coming in. Uh, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of things you'd have to be thinking about. You do. Um, but, you know, for K-State's sake, it's better to have Will Howard play next year, maybe the year after, we'll see. Uh, maybe at that point it's Avery Johnson, and then everybody moves on and you're good. Uh, I, you just, I, I don't believe it dictated starting decisions, though. Yeah, which I don't either. But it's just it gets brought up. It seems like every week and every conversation about Will, like it gets brought up. And I'm like, people, like we can't, we can't be. It sounds like you know, people discussing like your new uh, what, what were like those first Mac computers that came out with like the colored backs on them, like the little iMacs that came out. It's like, man, it, what are we doing talking about that in 2023? I just saw one of those the other day. That's what popped in my brain. Like, no, we're talking about like MacBook, like laptops here. Okay, we don't use red shirts like this they're not that valuable thing that they used to be anyway uh in the transfer portal era it just doesn't come into play nearly as much um headline number two it sounded like we got pretty good news health wise um i had this observation i mean daniel green played quite a few snaps against texas and uh seemingly no real issues there but Kleiman said at the press conference that he expects both kate warner and malik Knowles to be able to play even though they had not practiced yet at that point in the week i think the hope was that they'd be able to go some today and that is huge because that was a, a key factor. And we talked about it a little bit the other day, but I think an under-discussed element of the Texas game is that on those two drives late that turned into a field goal and then the fumble, um, when you had a chance to tie it and send it to overtime, didn't have Malik Knowles, didn't really have Cade Warner uh, for much of it either. And that that put that, that receiving core really in a bind. When you rely on those guys as much as they do and you don't sub there, um, really put them in a tight spot. So you're going to have to hope that they're they're pretty close to 100%. Yeah, that's why you saw the snap for Xavier Lloyd and RJ Garcia. And I think RJ Garcia is probably going to see his role expand a little bit more just because those guys, I I can't, they're probably not going to be 100%, even, even though they are expected to go in their first day of practice will be on Wednesday. And RJ Garcia himself, the reason why, you know, after kind of a full off season of people praising and raving about him, um, his issue has been kind of the health bug too, right? Um, behind the scenes, we don't hear too much about it because he's not playing and, and not a regular contributor and they aren't rotating as much at receiver, but part of that is because he's been hurt. So um, we're at least dealing with some kind of pain. Daniel Green, 61 snaps. So yeah, that one kind of surprised me. I asked him after the game when he knew he was going to play. And he said the Sunday after the TC or not after the TC, Sunday after what game? Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. State. Yeah. 
Sunday at the Oklahoma State game. So it was a pretty quick turnaround to to when he knew he was going to be available. It sounds like he practiced quite a bit last week. So, um, you know, kudos to him. I, I, I'm just kind of projecting here the kind of pain that he's probably enduring. Um, he's a bigger man than I. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, you start looking around, yeah, where, where they were working on him. It's not a fun area to play linebacker and have some pain in. Are there any other lingering injury issues right now? I mean, it seems like went from Deuce everywhere to – yeah, everywhere to basically nowhere now. Well, just let's uh, – yeah, Deuce Vaughn looks really good. Yeah, he's back to, I think, his explosive fast self. It would be nice if Felix made a leap in terms yeah. of terms of health because you can – Tell he's still hoppled. I'd like to see him take the same kind of uh, progress that that Deuce Vaughn has. Maybe that's something that's a little bit tougher to to pull off. But other than that, hard to think of anything else. Uh, let's let's. I mean, I know it's bad luck. Some of it's just unavoidable. But let's avoid uh, targeting penalties going forward as well, <laughs> because uh, th- those are basically like an injury at this point. Yeah. And uh, I heard I heard Kleiman talk about that, saying basically like he didn't really blame Julius Brents a ton for that, but also kind of understood the the call, basically the message there from Kleiman. He understood the the nature of what they're trying to do and why they call it, and and doesn't think that they probably should change that course very much because if you don't focus on player safety, then the game of football is going to be a target. Um, and they're going to try to take it away. So you got to focus on player safety if you want to keep it around. That was kind of his message. But at the same time, he said, you know what? I can't fault for Julius Brents for anything he did. Almost kind of a wrong spot, wrong time kind of play. Yeah. I mean, it, it, was, it was just tough all the way around. And then lose uh, lose the best corner on the field, who certainly helps in the run game and, and got gashed in the run game. So, yes, you've had Khalid Duke and, and now Julius Brents uh, back-to-back being affected by the targeting penalty in two of the last three games. All right, Baylor has been a big problem. Final headline uh, for Climbing in K-State. As much as it's sucked to continue to lose to Texas, the streak against Baylor goes back almost as far. Uh, K-State has lost four straight. Last win was 33-20 to in 2017, a game that I was looking through. I was like, God, I don't even really remember that. Um, Baylor was 1-11 that year, I believe. Okay. Did they go 1-11 and and then they had the – that's right. And then they had like a two-win team in 2020 that K-State lost to um, in Waco. Last time that they were in Waco, got dominated in 2019, which was the first time that Chris Kleiman took on the Bears. And then last year, offense just couldn't get going at all. I mean, his greatest, Skyler Thompson, looked at the end of the year and now has looked in, in his NFL career early on. That was a day where he didn't have much, and K-State's offense didn't have much at all, and they lost to uh, Blake Shapin, who had to come in as a backup quarterback now. So th- this is one of those hurdles. I mean, we've talked about it with Texas – we were talking about it with Oklahoma State before that game. This is one of those hurdles that uh, the climate is yet to clear where going into the year he had not beaten either three of those teams. Yeah, in general, K-State 2-8 and eight against Baylor in the last 10 meetings. Um, so, so it goes back longer than that. The last win was 2017, as you alluded to. I think – I don't know if Dave Aranda was even the coach. Was that maybe a Jim Grobe year? Where yeah, no, I don't think year? that was Aranda. No, that was not Aranda. It might have been the Jim Grobe – one year in between uh, kind of thing where he did like a little hiatus there. Um, last win in Waco was 2016, I want to say. So uh, because those were the only two wins, I believe, in that 10-year span, uh, 16 and 17. So um, I wasn't around for the game in 16. I was around for the game in Waco in 18 
that was when Alex Barnes went off. I want to say the final score was 40 to 34. Um, special teams issues plagued Kansas State that day in the shootout because um, 40 to 34 was pro- probably was more high scoring affair than even that indicates just because the amount of possessions too. So both teams were scoring nearly every time they had the ball. I don't remember 2020 in Waco too much. I know that was the COVID year, so I, I probably didn't make the trip. Uh, K-State blew it late. Uh, that was a game that they, they definitely should have won. Um, but I do not remember a lot of the details of it, no. I mean, things were things were not good for K-State. They were even worse for Baylor going into that game, and then uh, Baylor gets the win in dramatic fashion. So uh, that's, that's what I got on that. Um, yes, this is one that I, I understand the concern, like trepidation people would have about it just because Baylor has had the upper hand on K-State going into the game. But I don't know. I, I feel I feel much better about this. I, I think I said it the other day. I'll reiterate it. I, I feel better about K-State's chances to win this week than I did last week. I really do. And I understand you're playing in Waco. I understand Baylor's hot. Um, but I, I don't feel like the matchup is as bad for K-State. And look, Kleiman got way over that Oklahoma State hump already this year. They've you know, I got a little frustrated seeing some of the online discourse about this season the other day. I, I feel like they've definitely taken steps in terms of just being nationally relevant. We're here in early November. They're still in the top 20 of the college football playoff rankings. They've beaten two teams soundly who were in the top 10 at the time. Um, it, it's been it's been a much more positive season with that. And they have broken through some of these barriers. So I would I'm not getting hung up on the, the Baylor thing just for the sake of it being Baylor at all. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I would agree. I would say it does feel like every other year, maybe if we don't beat Baylor. So it almost feels like a must win because of that. Because what happens if you lose to Baylor, but beat West Virginia and Kansas, you do have those two top 10 wins. Um, and I'm not going to take any way, anything away from those two wins, but at the end of the season, we're going to look back at them. We're like, man, Oklahoma state looks decimated. Oklahoma is not Oklahoma. So they're going to have a little, Asterisk almost in a way on those games, and you're still eight and four. If that scenario plays out, what I just shared, which you have already done before, with probably inferior teams from an, a talent standpoint. So this does feel like a, the last 25 percent of the schedule where you're going to put your money where your mouth is. If you're Kansas State with the talent that you have on your team, compared to the other teams that you have fielded in the Chris Kleiman era and I'll do them by winning all three. I will say that it does feel like that Turn to you. I agree. This does feel like a better matchup for Kansas state. The metrics would agree. I mean, the metrics put Texas into like the top eight. I mean, yeah. Texas well, is a really good football team. They find ways to lose. I get it. They find full, ways to lose. They're, they're a full touchdown favorite over undefeated TCU this week. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Texas is a really good team. Um, you still wish you you would have had a chance there at the end. I guess you did have a chance, but didn't come through. But Texas is really good. The metrics like Baylor, they don't love Baylor. I mean, Baylor's hanging around the 2025-ish area in the metrics. Kansas State's really 12-16. I mean, the advanced stats, the metrics, you know, all the analytics that you want to pour into really like Kansas State regardless of what has happened against the likes of Texas or TCU. Even the playoff committee likes Kansas State still. Uh, more than the coaches, more than the writers. They have them at 18. So. But at the end of the day, this – and from a talent disadvantage, I, I don't feel like uh, – I, I shouldn't say talent. Maybe athleticism because Texas is freaks just about everywhere you look. Um, that differential, you know – 
disadvantage, you know, the gap there isn't going to be as wide with Baylor, especially with the way Baylor likes to play. Even if they did, Baylor kind of put, puts you in a box and doesn't necessarily, you know, scheme the one-on-one matchups as much as Sark and Texas would, at least from an offensive standpoint. So this one's not as scary in, in that term. I will say I was watching some some clips. Shout out to D. Scott Fritchin who posted some clips of uh, Dave Aranda's press conference. I still – I do love that dude. I do love that guy. He is such like a Zen chill. Like I wish I could have the Zen that, uh, that Dave Aranda does. Yeah. Totally stoic and just very thoughtful. Like, ah, I'm just like, man, I, I love that guy. I do love that guy. Uh, we don't have Cole for our typical, like in-depth Baylor preview, but um, I don't know. DY, I hope you can carry the load on, on some of this. I mean, I, we, we discussed some of this on the previous pod that they, they're going to run the ball a lot, 66% of the time. They've got uh, Richard Reese, who's been uh, a real breakout star this year, but didn't play much last week because of the flu. Squirrel Williams filled in for him. Chris Kleiman talked a lot about how much they're going to go for it on fourth down, that they're going to be a really aggressive team, which you're seeing more and more now anyways. But um, Dave Aranda seems to really embrace kind of the new school way of thinking as far as that is concerned. So there will be some some unique challenges with them. Yeah, I mean, they're going to run the ball a lot. They're going to do it in different ways, a lot of misdirection. Um, go for a fourth down, so you're probably going to see a lot of short yard situations. And kids say defense has been pretty good in that area, so especially when it came through against Texas in the second half. So I like that. Gavin Holmes is the receiver, I think. Um, yeah. Blake Shapin's been wishy-washy a little bit this year. I mean, I feel like I, I don't know that he's played a great game since he came in and showed out against Kansas State last year. <laughs> I don't know. Has he played better than that? <laughs> he, was, uh, he, was, he was pretty good for a half in the Big 12 championship game. Yeah. But. I mean, it's just I feel like we're almost more weary or leery of, of shaping than anyone else because he's been pretty pedestrian otherwise. And, you know, I'm, maybe I'm not giving them enough credit just because I hear about a team wanting to run – the ball 66, 67% of the time, especially against Kansas State, who, aside from the beasts that are Kendra Miller and Bijan Robinson, has done pretty well against the run. I'm not overly concerned about that matchup. At least you, you here's the what I really start to, what, what in the back of my mind is the way Baylor likes to play, you know, and we're going to get into a very maybe slow game where uh, there's not many possessions and maybe you want to sit on the ball a little bit. I don't think Kansas State can get into that kind of game. I do think that favors Baylor. If anything that we've learned out learned about Kansas State this year is they are better when, you know, they, they want to pick it up a little bit, when they go, 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 when they aren't as conservative. And when Chris Klein kind of turns that switch here and there sometimes to, like, take the foot off the gas, I think that's when – Kansas State really stalls, and I think it's easy easy to fall into that trap against Baylor because they play a slow game. Yeah, we've we've seen. I mean, the Oklahoma game when K State played really well, they were scoring into the forties. Obviously, Oklahoma State. I mean, those two games we talked about where they looked as as good as they have this year. They've been scoring a lot of points. They almost hit forty against Texas Tech, uh, thirty seven, I believe, in that game. So yeah, it's been more about the the and especially if Adrian Martinez is going to be the quarterback. I mean, you're going to need those explosive plays. That's what. K-State's relied upon uh, with with him at the helm of the offense. Uh, you have anything you want to say about the Baylor defense? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have much. 
It was rough at the beginning of the year, I will say. The Baylor defense just wasn't doing what we typically see from them. Uh, if you remember, Oklahoma State kind of put it on them um, in Waco, I want to say. 36 points, I think, in a 36-25 game. So the Baylor defense has definitely been a work in progress, but now we're at the back quarter of the schedule, and this is what we said, I think, in our preview podcast. You know, Kansas State probably gets Oklahoma when they want to get Oklahoma, maybe get Oklahoma State when they want to get Oklahoma State, but they are not getting Baylor when they want to get Baylor because Baylor's defense is now, you know, risen to the occasion and grown to the point where they're probably a top-four defense. And if it wasn't for a slow start, it might be better than that. Uh, the best defense, you know, I think when you look at the numbers, is easily Iowa State. There's yeah, a pretty there's, there, there's still a gap after Iowa State. They're first at four or five different numbers that you'd want to look at to measure a defense's acumen. And then second and third is pretty much a toss-up depending on the numbers you look at, and that's Kansas State and Texas. Texas plays some defense now too. So those two, um, you, I'm probably not going to argue with anyone that says, you know, two and three. Four and five is probably close, and that's Baylor and, and you know, the other team there is not really coming to my mind. So they – would be Tech? Texas it, yeah, They've improved. I, I forget at this point. But all I'm saying is, you know, Baylor at the, at the first part of the season was probably not close to a top four – top five defense in the Big 12. They are now, and that's because they've played really well on that side of the ball lately. They've made the biggest strides there. Well, everybody, I'm sure, is waiting uh, anxiously for quick hitters. Before we get to that, we're going to take a real quick break. We'll talk to you in just a second. All right, here are quick hitters on three bond. John Kurtz, Derek Young. Uh, we're going we're gonna to start with some hoops here. We're mixing in hoops into quick hitters now. Your favorite cat hooper so far is who, D.Y.? Oh, man, yeah, that's hard because a lot of these guys are so freaking likable. I mean, I think it's probably going to change and evolve a few different times over the course of the season. In the early going, my pick is Desi Sills. I think part of it's um, just the way he plays. He plays fast. I think he plays faster than anyone on the team, but just saying something because they have Marquise Noel and a few other guys that can really go. Cam Carter, Tyke Green, super explosive. Naquan Tomlin. Um, oozes potential. I mean, I'm not saying this guy's Kevin Durant, but he kind of looks like Kevin Durant out there with the stature and the way that he brings up the ball and will just pull up on you and, and attack the rim, um, even from the three point line. But Desi Sills, I think you know, I am partial to a lefty because I play the game left handed basketball. Um, and he just got a little shake to him, a little shot making ability, plays you know, anticipates on defense. I think my guy's Desi Sills, playmaker. Yeah, I mean, I like him. I like him. I like all these guys. There's there's not a, a dude that I don't like so far. But I, I was really – after the exhibition game, I was like, all right, Jarrell Colbert seems like that's that's up my alley. That's up my alley. <laughs> now, now he's redshirting. So it's just going to take some time. I, I don't have like a, you know, those yeah, okay. who have been listening for a long time, like the my guy. Uh, I, I don't really have one yet. That's probably going to take some time to develop. Um, but there, there are a number of contenders. I, I Look, it's hard – Honestly, right now, if you press me, it's hard to go against Naquan Tomlin just because I, I see the potential there. Like, it's just crazy. Uh, he also got a technical for talking you-know-what after a dunk uh, in the first game of the year. So that's also a, a good uh, – that's that helped him in the My Guy standings for sure. Uh, or or Tyke Green going 
Well, yeah, Ty, I mean, Tyke Green is is another strong contender. He would be in that group. And then, uh, frankly, Bebe, you know, I was so, like, enamored with Bebe and being like, holy shit, like, this guy, this guy's got some skills, man, um, that that he would be in, in the running, too. But it's very, very early, very early. So I, I don't have a great singular answer for you right now. Uh, better defensive play. Now we're back to football. Okay. Echo Boydo's uh, punch out or Anthony Johnson's punch out of Malik Knowles in Ames that uh, Matt Campbell called one of the greatest plays in Iowa State history. <laughs> I forgot he said that. Um, it's a tough one, right? You know what? I hate, I hate doing it. It's probably the Iowa State one because that game was close. I want to say at that point. The Kansas State, Kansas State was already down 21 to 10, right? I think so. Um, and Kansas State, neither team won the game. I think what Echo did was probably more impressive, but if you take the implications of the contest in its current state, it's the Iowa State one. Uh, that's a pretty fair breakdown. Like Echo, ha- having the wind up there for everybody to see made it a much yeah. more like eye popping thing, like a much more. It's something that's going to catch your attention and, if you're watching and, the highlight. And he timed it. He used like his skill. He was like real, but the Iowa State one, it looked like he was kind of just taking advantage of Knowles not securing it very well. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it, it was kind of an awkward deal where Malik had been pulling off of somebody and spinning around. And it was just sort of a, everybody was a little off, off kilter there, took advantage of some of that. Whereas, yeah, Echo was having to just straight chase this dude and wind up. And I, I mean, I think for the visual, I'm going to give it to Echo. And be a be a homer, I suppose, for the visual of it with the winding up for the super punch, uh, like it was a freaking video game or something. I'm gonna go echo. Yeah, for oh, I'm gonna go echo too, because now that I think about it, the difficulty for difficulty purposes, I think it's definitely echo. And you're chasing down a Texas player, right? I mean, this isn't. I mean, yeah, <laughs> those are freaks. So they are. I mean, Malik Knowles. That's well, not an yeah. easy thing to chase down, but he was definitely not running full speed. But he was already being tackled by like two other guys. Yeah. Yeah, he he was not he was not at full speed at all. Uh, true or false? Texas builds a fourteen point or greater lead at some point against TCU in their game here. Because what we know about these two teams is that Texas jumps on everybody early and then has to hang on, or they don't. And TCU falls behind everybody and then has to come charging back. They were down seventeen against Oklahoma State, eighteen against K State, four even in the the fourth quarter against Texas Tech this past week before. Uh, ripping off 21 in a row. So it just seems like this game is designed for Texas to jump out to like a 17-point lead, and then we'll see if TCU can uh, can pull off the comeback. Uh, true, just because everything you said. I actually think Texas is going to win by 14-plus. It's not what we need, D.Y. It's not what we need. I know, I know. I, know. I think Texas beats TCU, loses to Baylor. How about that? Okay, I can take that. I, I mean, Vegas – is very much on the horns. Uh, I mean, a touchdown favorite over this unbeaten now number four in the college football playoff TCU Horn Frog team. I it's pretty crazy, but Texas does. I mean, they play better when they're on the in the national spotlight, right? So college game days there. That's uh, they know about the playoff rankings. Uh, TCU's been a thorn in their side, and, and they actually did get them last year. So I plenty of motivating factors. I'd imagine you do get a pretty fired up Texas, but that doesn't mean it doesn't mean the second half Sark won't show up. That doesn't mean the second half Sark won't show up. No, it doesn't. Uh, Gary Patterson game. I don't know if anyone's talking about that either. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I saw somebody on Twitter saying, you know, TCU's playoff hopes hinge on 
beating a man who has a statue at their own stadium. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, that's one way to frame it. Uh, definitely one way to frame it for those that, that are unaware. Yes, Gary Patterson. What, what is his official? Is he an analyst at Texas? I believe. Okay. He's uh, he's an analyst at Texas. So, yeah, I think we're, we're both on that, that uh, Texas will build a 14-point or greater lead. I'm just more bullish on TCU putting together a comeback. Um, Nebraska, D.Y., I don't know if you know this. Nebraska now has the longest active bowl drought among Power 5 teams after Kansas got bowl eligible last week. Shout out to uh, Leipold and company. So more embarrassing, the fact that Nebraska football now has the longest active bowl drought among Power 5 teams or that Nebraska is the only Power 5 slash Power 6 team to not win an NCAA tournament game. More embarrassing. Gosh, they're getting hit on it with both sides right now. Jeez, Louise. Uh, that that fan, You know what? That fan base probably deserves it after everything that they were able to embrace from, what, 1970 to 2002. 2003 so no they're they're going through it but the torture that they're being put through for all the success they had during that time frame is uh something else uh the worst part just because i'll say this the landscape of football being what it is now is not conducive to a good nebraska uh well maybe a good nebraska but not a great nebraska but it's more mind-numbing that they're they haven't been the best basketball team in their own state in I don't know how long and still haven't won an NCAA tournament team tournament game. Sorry, it, that is pretty amazing. But like fo- the amount of resources and fan support and history and tradition that they pour into football, I'm gonna take the football just because like that that's your thing, man. That's what you do, and it's not it's not exactly hard to especially in the Big Ten, Big Ten West. Not well, exactly I know, hard, but it's also not hard. It's not hard to win one tournament game either. So. <laughs> Not not terribly, you know, you feel like you get there. 20 years, 20 years, 41 in 40 years. We're not talking like football. We're not talking about one game in 40 years, though. Like, that's all. Yeah, but I don't, man, it is so easy to just walk into bowl games. Like I, you can do that with, I mean, look at like Illinois this year, seven and two with that Big Ten West schedule. All of a sudden they're putting that together because all you do, all you do is just play freaking Illinois, Minnesota, Iowa, like, I mean, come on. You got to be. Able to- our producer does make a point, too. Like, a 16 seed is beat a one seed. So, like, you just get their problems even making the NCAA tournament. You can do that with like 17 wins anymore. Yeah, I'm cutting them slack for that, though. I mean, that's just like a little hobby hobby sport, you know? I mean, they don't pay attention to that. It's just like something to pass the time until football. So, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it's more embarrassing. <laughs> Why are they the only ones that can't do it? Because they are Nebraska and they poured all their re- – that, that's what you get for selling your soul to the devil back in the – I don't think this, I don't think they poured everything in. They pay Fred Hoiberg a healthy, 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 well, healthy amount. They can now because of that that Big Ten money. You are correct. The Big Ten money does help with that. Uh, lead pipe lock of the week time. We're all pretty bad. We all lost. Um, actually, I take that back. I did win. I hit the under last week. But we're all hovering right around 500. I, I had the under on West Virginia, Iowa State, which hit by like five. D.Y. is at five and four. He's still in front. Cole is four and five. I believe Cole's pick was Miami last week, who lost 45 to three uh, to Florida State. So shout out to Cole for that one. I tried to tell him. I was like, what the hell are you doing? Putting anything on Miami right now? Um, D.Y., do you, do you want to go first? or would you? Re- I've got Cole's pick. How about this? We're, we're you go, Cole, make Cole go first. You go second. I'll go last because I'm okay. still between a couple. 
All right, I, f- I forget that you do the helmet pick now, so it's like course. Well, I don't have a helmet for because uh, look, I, I I have seven real bets that I have money on, and none of them are associated with the helmets. So, oh, sorry. the helmet's going away this week. Wow, our Corso didn't didn't come prepared with a helmet. Yeah, well, Corso's missed uh, four or five college game days this year too. So. I guess uh, you know somebody needs to somebody out there needs to hit us up and start advertising with us so DY can get a little more money to buy some more helmets. Okay, there you go. Rydell, maybe I get a maybe get <laughs> yeah. a sponsorship. Yes. Yes. Can we get a Rydell sponsorship? That would be great. Uh, contact us at JL Kurtz on Twitter. Slide in those DMs. Uh, Cole's pick is Wake Forest minus three and a half over North Carolina. I like that. Uh, yeah, I assume that that game's in. Um, it's at Wake Forest. Probably. We forced been bad uh, two weeks in a row, getting kind of chopped pretty good by Louisville and NC State, though. That's the thing. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just, I would be a little dubious of that if Wake Forest is uh, totally falling apart or not. But I do respect the Wake Forest program quite a bit. North Carolina definitely feels like they're out over their skis a bit right now. Um, so I can but see Drake, that. Drake Bay's a stud, though. Whew. He's very good. Um, look, I'm going to go, I, I'm going to put it on Kansas plus three and a half at Texas Tech. I don't, I know I saw the line start at five. Now you're seeing more like three and a half. I, boy, I mean, Texas Tech really disappointed me with that Baylor game a couple of weeks ago in Lubbock. They've been dealing with so many injuries and just rotating quarterbacks in and out. Baron Morton seems to be hurt at some point in every game every week. And like Kansas, I mean, dude, they fight. I hate to admit it, but they, they are just, they are a good, nasty, tough team. Like that is just a tough out. I, I, God, geez, I'm so scared of that game on the 25th. But in this case, I, I think they will win. I think they will win. I like what Leipold's doing right now. Speaking of a line, it's come down a little bit. Kansas State, I think, started plus five in Waco, now down to two and a half. So uh, a lot of people okay. tend, tend to like the Cats, which would be a good sign if, if you uh, are listening to this podcast and are a fan of the Purple. That's not the way I'm going with. I'll also throw a couple others that I'm not going with as the official play. But Ole Miss, plus 11 and a half against Alabama. Look, uh, Alabama, not the same Alabama. Um, it's in Oxford, I want to say, as well. And this will probably be the first time in about a decade, first time for anyone on that roster, that they're going to be playing a game that literally has zero playoff implications for them. <laughs> um they're not playing for anything championship-wise. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll see. I don't know. I feel like the committee, you know, it could be like the last rankings. They'll just vault them up. But they're number eight. nine. But they're number nine. And and to be two losses, you probably need to be an SEC champ with it because the teams that have had two losses um, that got, like got close to advancing to the playoff were teams that also won their conference. But guess what? Alabama needs LSU to lose two more times for that to come to fruition. I just don't think that's yeah. – a plausible scenario they probably know it so i look i just don't know where alabama's head is going to be at this is the least amount that they've had to play for in a long time so i would like that Ole miss number if i was someone that wanted to wager this weekend arkansas plus three gets lsu is interesting that, that That's, i had that i had that you see that that was my bonus i thought about going yeah. to arkansas plus three I, I, I won't use that as my official pick i'm taking it in general just because well one that line is stinky the, the fact that it's only plus three the way that arkansas played this year especially without kj jefferson and two this is that scenario that's played out several times this year and it occurs has reaped the benefits of it a team that comes out a monumental win just flat out lays a dud the next week, or at least doesn't cover. So LSU is in that trap that's kind of bared itself out. 
I like Tennessee minus 21 too, just because I think they're going to respond and, and probably take their anger out on uh, someone that's, and it's not going to be great. Notre Dame, another team just over their skis a little bit by beating Clemson in the fashion that they did last week, playing a service Academy with a big number Navy plus 17. And you know, that's going to be limited possessions, right? But my official play is East Carolina plus five and a half against Cincinnati. Cincinnati just played, a service academy. I don't think Cincinnati's been covering big numbers this year. I'm not saying that's a big number, but they've played in a lot of close games. East Carolina is better than people think. They've actually played pretty good football this year, and, and teams just don't usually play well the week after playing a service academy when you got chop blocked every play on defense for about 60 minutes. So East Carolina plus five and a half is actually my play. Okay. Um, I can dig that. Uh, prediction time. I'm going to go 27-24 K-State. Like I said, I feel much better about this than I did the Texas game. Um, I know these scores all seem really similar, but it's like in the in the Big 12 every week, and K-State being a fairly high-scoring team, more so than they have been in the past, it just always feels like it's going to be one of those games that winds up in the upper 20s, lower 30s, uh, and it's going to be pretty close. I do I do imagine it'll be a close game, but I'll, I'll take K-State to uh, to show some metal on the road and win a close one against against the Bears. I think Baylor is going to yuck it up, and Chris Kleiman's probably going to be okay with that happening because I think he he almost likes that style anyway. So I see a low scoring game. Um, I would I would definitely take a peek at the under in this one because I just don't see a lot of points. Um, and I'm going to buck the trend here. I'm going to hope that people think it's okay that I pick Kansas State now since I picked Texas to win last week and Texas won. So I got that right. I, so I'm going to pick Kansas State to win because I do think this is a better matchup for them. And the only thing I, I get a little leery of wanting to play Aranda's and Baylor style a little bit here. But I think this could end up looking similar to the Iowa State game, minus the weather, of course, probably. But I like Kansas State 17 to 14. Um, putting Baylor on a square touchdown number just in general for, for people that are considering a score in this one is probably wise because they go for a fourth down a lot. True. Chris Kleiman gave you that insight, and uh, we told you about it earlier in the pod. So, fair enough. All right, we both got K-State winning. I, I didn't ask Cole for a prediction. I would imagine he's picking K-State, though. I think so. Uh, he's not big on Baylor. He actually might take K-State by more than us. <laughs> well, he's Yeah, that was the, uh, the, uh, the aforementioned argument uh, from a bunch of shows ago, when we, the Iowa State game, when we were, like, very frustrated in the middle of the Iowa State game. We got into a big Blake Shapin argument somehow at some point, just because we were, like, pissed about the fact K-State wasn't pulling away from Iowa State. And uh, I was the one that was more pro Blake Shapin at that point. Cole looks like uh, looks like he was probably on the right side of that argument uh, as of right now. But anyway, uh, Cole should be back next time we talk to you. Appreciate Holiday Distillery. Go get your 360 vodka, your Ben Holiday bottle and bond bourbon uh, for the games this weekend. It is really annoying that at 6 o'clock you have like all the best Big 12 games are all going at night at the same time. KU Texas Tech and TCU Texas at the same time as K-State Baylor. I am massively annoyed by that, but uh, oh well. I suppose I will survive. And if you're massively annoyed by it, just calm the nerves with uh, some 360 vodka. They're probably massively annoyed by the Pac-12 network on Friday too. Yeah, that too. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll figure it out. Just get the free trial. Make sure you cancel. You'll be okay. Flow Hoops coming up in a couple weeks, y'all. Yeah, it beats, it beats Flow Hoops. It beats Flow Hoops. Or maybe. Anyway, we'll find out, I suppose. All right, it's going to do it for us. Uh, appreciate Jed Marshall behind the scenes. For Cole, not pictured today, not here. And DY, I'm John Kurtz. Thanks for listening to Three Mom. We'll talk to you soon.